Are you ready to inject a little punk rock DIY ethos into your indie author career? Join me, best-selling author Steph Green, for the Rage Against the Manuscript podcast, where we're going to explore how to tell your story, find your readers, and build a badass author brand. For more info, check out our website at www.rageagainstthemanuscript.com. Hey writers, it's Steph here. Welcome to another episode of the Rage Against the Manuscript podcast. This week I thought I'd do something a little bit different and I popped on over to the Facebook page and I asked you to send me your questions, your burning questions about writing, about self-publishing, about all of the things. And I got some great responses, not just uh, on the Facebook post, but but you know through email and DMs and stuff. So I basically got like the rest of the year's worth of content for the podcast kind of mapped out just based on you guys' questions. So that's really cool. So thank you so much for doing my work for me. Love you guys. Right. Now, I'm going to do three questions today, uh, and if you if you asked a question and I said, yay, that's an awesome question, and I haven't answered your question, it's because it is coming up in a future episode, and some of them um, are going to be a whole episode just based on that one thing. So, without further ado, let's knock into the first question, and this question was from Genevieve. And she says, I would love to know your editing process. How long does it take you to edit? Do you follow a certain set of steps every time? So Genevieve, and anyone else who was curious, so my editing process um, takes about, say, maybe three weeks. Um, and during that time, I'm not, you know, that's not time that I am actually really editing. It's more, it's three weeks where it's with other people. And this process, the process that I use now, is not the process that I used when I started. Over the years, I've kind of chopped and changed things and added new people and added different steps. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. So what I do is I finish my book uh, at at the point where I'm like, I just, I can't look at it anymore. I can't tell what's wrong with it. It's all terrible. I finish the book. I put the book through Grammarly, which is a free software that you can use online, um, which is, is like a, an uber super super duper grammar checker, um, and that picks Grammarly picks up a lot of what uh, the the spell check on Google Drive, which is what I use to write, um, a lot of that spell check um, doesn't pick up. Now. Google Drive actually has a plugin for Grammarly, so Grammarly works in the in your actual document. However, I find it quite buggy at the moment, so I still copy paste the chapters. I do it a couple of chapters at a time. I copy paste them into Grammarly, then I go through and I choose what um, you know what's going to go, what I'm going to keep, and what I think is Grammarly just being a poo, <laughs> and so I end up with a finished document. Uh, which has gone through Grammarly, so it's basically as good as I can possibly get it. Then I print it out, and I give it to my husband. Now, I didn't all... I sort of... It's funny, I sort of started doing this, um, and then I stopped, and then I started again. Um, So I've always printed out my book and then read through it. This is, I'm talking way back in the day when I was sort of 1920 years old and I was trying to get traditionally published 
and this was the advice that I'd had, I'd read from other writers uh, online, um, and so I'd always followed it. So I'd always printed out my book and read through it myself, and then that, you know, I found lots of things that I didn't see when I was looking at it on a computer screen, things just like sentences that were a bit blah and um, mistakes that I'd made, and uh, yeah, just uh, often places I could change the language up a little bit and make it a bit punchier. So I used to do that, um, and then I would give it to my husband to read. Uh, wasn't my husband at the time. And he's very, very good at finding like continuity errors and um, other little little bugbears and he's very good at kind of story stuff at saying you know well this scene doesn't you know doesn't suit the main character and here is clearly where you're trying to force the character to to do something to fit in with the plot um and this doesn't make any sense and you know this is factually inaccurate so he's really good at finding things like that so when I was trying to get traditionally published, I would give things to him and he'd read them through and then at that point when he'd finished um, with it and I'd fixed all the things he'd found, that was the point where I would start trying to send it off to agents and, and publishers and things. And then when I started self-publishing, because I started, um, so the first novels that I self-published were novels that I had um, it had been through the traditional publishing ringer, as it were. Uh, and so they'd already been through that process. Um, so then I just hired an editor that I found on the K-boards, uh, the Kindle boards writers forum. I just found an editor there. I hired them um, and they did an edit and then I hit publish and that was that. And then when I started writing romance, of course, the first thing I did was I it was a secret pen name. And so I didn't tell my husband I was writing it. And so he didn't do that edit. So I just found an edit on uh, an editor on another um, board and they went through those the early books um, once. Uh, and then I hit publish. So I continued to publish under that pen name, uh, which is my Stephanie Holmes pen name, because it was doing quite well. Um, but because I'd started without having my husband do that initial read, I kind of continued like that. And also because I sort of thought he wasn't really, wouldn't really be that interested in the kind of books that I was writing. He's more of a, you know, the, he likes to read high fantasy books and uh, manuals about steam locomotives. So I thought my like sexy vampire stories weren't really his kind of jam. So I just kind of kept trucking along with, with one editor um, for a while. And, you know, th things things did pretty well. I was, you know, rocking along. But I was getting a few reviews that said there was, you know, continuity errors and, and, and grammar errors and stuff. Not not heaps of them. Um, not a concerning amount of them. But enough that I, I sort of started to think, look, I, I can probably do a bit better. So... Um, so sort of the second year that I was publishing, I added a proofreader to the process. So I had my editor go through, and then um, after that I had a proofreader, and the proofreader sort of catches maybe 40 or so errors, so, so it's not many errors, um, but what the, those errors that they do catch are sort of that give the book that, that final polish, it's, it's really, really nice. <laughs> Um, and so it feels like a step up in terms of the quality um, that I was producing. So, um, so I kept that for a while, and then when I was getting ready to quit my my day job, um, I started to think, 
it's really time I, you know, really, really improved my process. And I was still getting these, um, you know, a smattering of reviews with like continuity errors and things. And so I went to my husband and I said, look, I would really be interested in uh, you and, and us having an arrangement where you read every book of mine. And I said, you, you might think this is quite funny. Um, and I said, I would like to pay you to read my books. And the re- and he's like, you would? <laughs> and I said, yes, I would. And I said, the reason for that is because I really trust your judgment when it comes to these continuity errors and things, which is going to be your job to find. And I realize this is a weakness uh, in the way that, uh, you know, in my writing. Um, and, you know, all of us as writers have a weakness, and, and this is mine, is that sometimes I just plain forget about shit that I've already written. Um, so... I want you to find these continuity errors, and I want to pay you. And the reason I want to pay you is because I need to be able to tell you that I need this book in a week, and you need to do it. And if I'm paying you, then it becomes this this thing where you know where it's more of a a business arrangement. Whereas if you're just reading it to me as a favour because you're my husband, then you know the thing that we ran into a lot um, when he used to read my work was that it would take him like months and months and months to get to it and I'd kind of feel bad about you know nudging him about it because um, you know it's it's his free time as well so we agreed that this seems like a good arrangement so and that is the arrangement that we've had for nearly three years now um, so he reads every single one of my books as soon as I give it to him um, and he does the continuity continuity errors he does sort of character stuff um you know this doesn't feel like it um it's good for the characters things like that um i have definitely got better over the years um so he definitely picks up less things now than he did at the beginning and that's really really exciting um that shows me that as a writer that i'm improving so that's really cool so he does that and i give him two weeks uh, to read the manuscript and often I'll give him half the manuscript at the beginning while I work on the second half just so he has more time and I still do pay him he even got a pay rise this year lucky man uh, and he spends all his uh, money on more manuals about steam locomotives because that's his thing so it goes to my husband and then when he's finished it usually takes me doesn't take me very long to fix the things that he says are wrong so maybe it only takes me an hour or two. It doesn't take very long at all. So I fix all the mistakes that he's pointed out. And then I give it to my editor. And my editor is really great. So I use the same editor for all my books. Um, and I, I had a previous editor a couple of years ago, but she stopped editing because her books were doing so well, which is awesome, awesome. So I use the same editor, which is really good because it means that she you know, remembers the story from previous books. Um, she's really wonderful. She again, she picks up other continuity things that he's missed, um, and she mainly does the spelling and the grammar, um, sort of repeated words. Um, you know, where I might have had the, the same word and the same sentences, um, like forty sentences in a row, kind of thing. So she picks up that that sort of stuff, um, and then that used to be um, f- for first couple of years I actually I did that and I dropped the proofreader off the end um, just because I needed to keep my um, my funds down um, and recently earlier this year I picked a proofreader back up again 
Uh, and the proofreader again, she goes through at the end and she just picks, she picks up the little mistakes um, that have been missed. And there's always going to be things that you miss. Um, and so usually my editor takes about a week to do the book. Sometimes more, sometimes less. I, you know, a lot of editors, they'll have a calendar and you have to go and book the calendar. Um, and so you might book all your editing slots, you know, six months in advance. And so you're going to have to work to a deadline to those slots. I am quite lucky in that my editor seems to be pretty chillax about these things. And so I just finish a book and I send it to her and I say, look, here's a book in an ideal world. Could you get it to me by this date? If not, I will you know, I will sc scramble things around on my end. And she's pretty much always able to accommodate me, which is pretty amazing. I'm very lucky. So, um, so you see, editor takes sort of a week. Uh, and then I send the book off, uh, fix her mistakes. Maybe that takes a day, half a day. Then I send the um, edited version off to my proofreader. And my proofreader is a, a lovely lady in Australia. She's a, she's a really dedicated reader of my genre. Um, and she picks up sort of 40 or 50 little things. And that just gives the book's final polish. It's really wonderful and I'm really glad I've got this process at the moment and I intend to keep it that way. And then what I do after that, that's the time where I load the book uh, into vellum and I format it and I make it all pretty and I send it out to my beta readers. Now depending on how close I am to my pre-order deadline, this may also be the time that I upload the book to Amazon and it goes into the, the pre-order process to go live. So, um, but what happens is usually about 10 days before the book goes live, I will send it to my to my ARC team. Sorry, I think I said beta readers before. I actually mean my ARC team. So these are my advanced readers. And there are about 30 of them on my list, and they will read the books. And not all of them, but a few of them will come back with you know a little list of maybe five or so other little spelling errors um, or things that, that are in the books. And so I'm able to take those errors and fix them in the vellum file and then re-upload a newer, sort of slightly more polished, even slightly more polished version. So those guys are really awesome for that. Um, so, and that they're also the people that leave the reviews on, on the first couple of days when the book goes live. And that helps more people, um, the kind of social proof they see, oh look, you know, this book, people really like it, so maybe I'll like it too. So that's what I do. So that's my editing process, and I'm very happy with it so far. I won't be changing it uh, anytime soon. Lots of authors have, you know, authors have very, very different editing processes. I know a lot of people that have like a team of beta readers instead of just one. So I've just got my husband, and I know a lot of people who have a whole team of like ten or so readers, and they'll send them a chapter at a time as they're writing the book. But because I don't write in a linear way like that, I don't like write a chapter and then polish it and then send it out. Um, that process, you know, is not going to work for me. But it's all about kind of, you know, it's taken me sort of five, even even ten years, you could say, to come up with this process that I think really works for me. So it's always about, yeah, figuring out, first of all, what your weaknesses are as a writer, and then how you can use a team to counteract those weaknesses and to, you know, to expose your strengths, I guess. Um, yeah, so that's my editing process. So I hope that's answered that question.
Now, the second question that we're going to talk about uh, is a biggie. Uh, and I have just, I'm just in the process of putting together a massive, massive module for the 12 months to full-time course that I've got all about this and all about like marketing strategies and things like that. But we're just going to address a little tiny piece of that here. Now this question came from Nikki. And Nikki says, I'd be interested in knowing more about Amazon keywords and categories, mainly because I don't know anything about it. Any tips and tricks to share there? So, Nikki, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so, we're going to have a little chatty chat about categories and keywords. So, categories and keywords, and we're going to do this Amazon exclusive at the moment. We're just going to talk about Amazon because Amazon's kind of the biggest slice of the pie. And also, of all the platforms, they're the most algorithmically driven. So the other platforms like Apple and Kobo, they have a lot of like human intervention in their bestseller lists and in the way that readers are presented with books that they might want to buy. But Amazon is very driven by the algorithms. So I think it's quite important to understand, the more you understand, you know, the more it helps you to make a plan, basically. So categories and keywords are part of what we call metadata. And metadata is just a fancy word that means info about your book that the computer can read. So if, you could, if the computer just looks at your book uh, and all the text that you've uploaded, it's really difficult to kind of extrapolate a lot of stuff from that because that's a very that's a massive chunk of, of text that the computer has to try and understand. And so instead of doing that, a much easier way for Amazon to, to, to categorize books is to make authors like us um, state, basically tell them in a way that the computer can understand, this is what the book is, and these are the books that are, you know, and this is where it should go in your categorizing system next to all these other books that are kind of like it. And this is how Amazon runs everything. It's based on this kind of recommendation thing. It's based on this, if you've read this book, you may also like this other book that's similar to it. And it's really important to understand this. So yes, so metadata is how Amazon and any other system know what your book is about and know where to shelve it in their store without having to read it or without having a human have to look at the cover or read the description and like figure it out for themselves. So your job, your job is to make the metadata say what you need it to say so that you get shelved where your readers hang out. If your metadata says the wrong thing, you end up getting shelved somewhere else in the store. And you don't want to be shelved somewhere else in the store because then no one can find you. So most of your metadata basically just says what it's got to say. So your metadata includes your title of your book. So your title's just, it's got to be your title. That's that's just of it. Your author name, again, it's, it's got to be your author name. But categories and keywords are the important bit of the metadata that helps you get into the categories and the searches on Amazon, which are two key ways that readers find their books. So first of all, let's deal with categories. There are over 13,000 categories on the Amazon store. These are constantly updated 
um, and each one has its own top 100 bestsellers, and it actually has two bestseller lists. It has the top 100 free and the top 100 paid. In order to keep these categories fresh, because Amazon abhors the idea that you might click over to their website um, you know, twice in a day and see the same stuff. They don't want to show you the same stuff because they, they think that's bad. They want to show you new, exciting, interesting things that you might want. So in order to keep these categories fresh, Amazon needs to understand how one book is selling against another book so it can rank them accordingly. Now this is sales rank and may sound like I'm going off on a tangent but it's important to understand this. So sales rank is a relative measure of how well your book is selling against all the other books in the Amazon store. Selling a certain number of books is not going to generate a specific sales rank. So you can't say, well, I sell 2,002 books and I'm going to get this specific sales rank. The reason for that is because it all depends on what all the other authors are selling as well. So it's going to take less books to make it into the top 100 sales rank of the entire store, say June, June then around Christmas because so many more people are going to be buying books around Christmas. So each time you make a sale, it moves your sales rank. And sales rank, it's a little bit confusing, but sales rank, the smaller the number, the better. Because it's a, it's a descending rank. So number one in the Amazon store is selling the most books in the entire store. And number one million or whatever is selling not that many books at all. And so we often talk about your sales rank moving up, but what we actually often mean is it's moving down, or we often talk about moving down, and we actually mean it's, talking, it's moving up. So you know, increasing your sales rank means your rank is actually decreasing. It's yeah, yeah. Just you just have to muddle through with that. But yes, we want we want the smaller numbers. The smaller numbers are better. So each time you make a sale, moves your sales rank. But the same is true for all of the authors around you. So we're all constantly moving up or down in the rankings relative to each other. So one sales impact on your ranking also degrades with time. So there's a, an, an author named David Cochran. Um, he's got a book called Amazon Decoded, which is basically the place to go if you want to really understand Amazon um, and its algorithms in, in extreme detail. So I'm going to stick the link to this book in the show notes so you can find it. So after a day, so you have a sale, and that sale is worth one sale in your ranking. So jumps jumps up or down relative to other authors. Um, but the next day, that sale that you had the day before is only worth 50% of what it was worth yesterday. But all the authors who are now having sales today, their sales are worth a whole sale, so they can jump ahead of you. And then after a week, that sale that you got a week ago basically has no impact on your ranking whatsoever. So sales rank is updated once an hour, roughly, but it can take often about like four hours for the sales that you get to actually reflect in your ranking. However, Amazon can be quite glitchy, and any time there's like lots of traffic, or it's a Tuesday or whatever, sales rank can be slow, it can get stuck. Um, you know, it's often takes longer at night um, because there's people working, it's just, all, yeah, it's just all kinds of things. Because the bestseller charts in the categories are based on sales rank, when you your ranking moves up or down, your position in the charts also 
probably going to move as well. But again, it's relative to all the other books in the charts. So if you sold four books today, and the person who's one above you in the charts has sold ten books, then they may jump up to like three or four higher than you. Um, you could sell nothing, and your sales rank can still move around, because it's again, it's relative to how all the other books around you are selling. Sales rank is, is only influenced by sales. So there's nothing else that goes into the calculation of sales rank, not reviews, not um, not anything else like that, not, not the price that you price the book, nothing. All sales are, are weighted equal. Uh, and the same goes for KU Read. So the, a, a Kindle Unlimited borrow counts as a sale in terms of sales rank. It counts differently in different places on Amazon, but we're not going to deal with those today. We're just going to talk about sales rank. So now that you understand sales rank, my first tip for choosing categories, because when we talk about categories, we're talking about when you're uploading a book and you get the option to choose to put your book into two categories. And the first thing is that you want to make sure those categories are super relevant, because this relevancy, as we talked about, is really, really important for Amazon, because that's it, that basically the whole way the whole thing runs. So... What you're going to do is try and find the two most relevant categories. So the best way to do this is um, to make sure you have a really good understanding of the Amazon categories. Is to just go to Amazon and drill down through the categories in the Kindle store, uh, which are on your, on your left-hand side uh, on a desktop. And so drill down into your genres, into your subgenres, and look at all the different types of categories. Um, and, and look at the category strings that go to create those categories. So, and, and I would do this activity you know, before you're going to upload a book, and I would find all the possible categories that possibly work for you. When you go to choose your two categories on Amazon, choose the two that are most relevant and drill down. So drilling down increases your visibility. So what I mean by that is that you've got that category string. So you can go to the paranormal, romance, so you, first of all you can go to the romance category. So that's a big, big, big category. Then you can drill down into like paranormal, contemporary, etc. So I drill, I drill down to the paranormal. And then in paranormal, I can drill down again into to smaller sub-niches of the category. So subcategories. So I might drill down to shifters if I have a shapeshifter book. Now that's drilled down to those three. So, so romance, paranormal, shifters. Now, when I go to upload my book to Amazon, I definitely want to upload it into romance, paranormal, shifters, not just romance, paranormal, or not just romance. And that's because if I drill down to romance paranormal shifters my book is also eligible to rank in the categories for romance and for romance paranormal so it's also in all those categories but if i don't drill down it's not going to be in those categories unless i keyword it into them smaller categories like this so like the shifter category takes less books sold to get on the bestseller list of those categories but of course there's less people looking in smaller categories but that's also cool because it can help you move around into the bigger categories so the books at the top of categories so the books the best-selling books in those categories those are the books that um that readers see the most because they see them first so when you so it can help to kind of build momentum so you can choose two categories 
uh, through when, when you upload, but you can actually have up to 10 categories. Uh, now, why Amazon doesn't allow you to just choose 10 in the thing, we'll never know. But if you want some more categories, and I do recommend you do this, making sure, being aware that the categories have to be relevant to your book, uh, you can go to Author Central, Amazon Author Central, and there is a special form specifically for requesting additional categories. Now, you, you've, you have to supply the category strings, so the Kindle Store, books, romance, blah, 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 blah. You have to supply that, but luckily you've already done this activity where you've looked through all the different categories, the different possible categories you could be eligible for, and you've written them all down. So all you have to do is copy-paste that into the, the form, Blah, 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 and then Amazon will usually upload your book into all those categories and suddenly you're more visible. So that's really my big tip about categories. Now we're going to talk about keywords. Now keywords are another section where you can fill in metadata as you're uploading your book and you get seven little boxes and each box has 50 characters that you can fill in with keywords. Now keywords on their own are not going to make you a bestseller. But it's really good to understand sort of how they work and what they're all about so that when, you know, if you have a book that does do well, keywords are going to help it do well for longer. So this is where it's important, of course, to have created a really great book and a genre that people are already searching for. Uh, it's much easier to kind of use keywords really well if you're writing non-fiction because people just want to learn a thing and they don't really care about who wrote the book or anything like that. Um, but we are, you know, I think most of us are fiction authors so we are definitely going to be talking about that. So keywords are all about helping your book rank in Amazon searches. Now search engines, Amazon's and all other search engines, work based on metadata. And then they create ordered list of books with metadata that matches the string of words, the keywords, that the user is searching for. So in order to create their search results, Amazon pulls metadata from your book title, your subtitle, your categories and keywords, and your author name. If you want to get into the first few results on a particular search, and basically the first few results, as I've said, are the only results that really get any attention from readers. You have to be selling well, first of all, because books with the, the most popularity, now popularity is not just a general term, it's an actual, it's a different type of ranking on Amazon. So you've got your sales rank, which is based on how well you're selling right this minute, and popularity is all about books that are selling well consistently over a period of time. We're not going to deal with this too much today, um, but... In my courses, we talk about this a lot more and more in depth. But all you need to understand is that search is based on popularity. So the, the books that are selling really well consistently are going to be at the top of the rankings. Um, so, and because of this, it obviously it means that just simply changing your keywords is not going to give you like an immediate boost. But if you run a promotion and you rank well, then having these keywords is going to help the residual sales from the end of that promotion. So the tail of your promotion is probably going to be a lot longer. And that's really, really cool. And that's what we want. Now, things that you need to know about keywords. 
Uh, one is that you don't need to repeat phrases that are already covered in your categories or in your book's title. So for example, if you've got a book in the cozy mystery category, then you don't need to put cozy mystery in the keywords. What you end up doing if you do that is that you're basically kind of a wasting space that you might use for another word. Also, remember that you get seven boxes and 50 characters in each box. Now, this doesn't mean that you only get seven keywords. It means that you want to fill those boxes with as many keywords and characters as possible. Another thing to think about is understand how people actually search. Now, a lot of people compare Amazon to Google, which is useful in terms of thinking about learning about um, search engine optimization. Um, as a general kind of concept. But comparing Amazon to Google is actually not a great comparison when we think about what people are searching for and why they're searching for it. Now, people who are searching on Google about a particular topic, what they usually want is some general information. They want to be led in a particular direction. So a good example of this is saying, like, which cat breed is best? Now, that's the kind of Google search term that people are plugging in if they're trying to decide on a particular type of cat that they want to adopt. So what they'll do is they'll read through some articles about different cat breeds and different types of cats, and then they might decide for themselves that of those cats that they've seen, a Tonkinese cat is the best cat. Hi Socrates, my cat Socks told me to, that I had to put this in. So Tonkinese is the best breed. And then what they'll do is they'll take that information, they'll pop on over to Amazon, and then they will look up books on caring for your Tonkinese cat. Or they might look at novels about Tonkinese cats. Searches on Amazon are there because they plan to buy something. Whereas Google searches are actually just searching for information. Now, this thinking about this is more important when you are writing nonfiction, but it also comes into play a bit when you are thinking about your fiction keywords. Now, basically, you have got two options when it comes to figuring out keywords. So the first option you have is to go over to Amazon and to open Amazon in an incognito window, which you'll just find by dropping down the, um, the tabby tabs on your browser. And an incognito window is basically just a new browser window where Amazon doesn't know that you are you, and so they're not going to serve you up specific search results based on your specific tastes. So on your incognito window, you're going to have a look at that search bar and you're going to start typing in things that relate to your book. So if we've got our, our shifter uh, paranormal romance book, you might start by typing in um, paranormal romance with werewolves and see what comes up. Um, and what will happen is that Amazon will start to auto-complete your sentences as you start typing them. So you can use these autocomplete sentences because these are very common things that people search for. So note down ones that you can use in your keywords that are related, relevant to your books. Now the other way that you can do this is you can use a tool called Publisher Rocket. Now Publisher Rocket um, basically does all this work for you. And not only that, but it will tell you which keywords have lots of traffic going to them and which ones are competitive. So when you're thinking about this on, on a high level, what you're trying to do is, is appear in keywords 
that are highly trafficked, so lots and lots of people are searching for them, but there isn't much competition for those keywords, and those are like little nuggets of gold. Um, so using a publisher rocket, you can pull up a um, long list of keywords that you can um, choose from, and you can see if there's any gold in there. Um, and you know, even if there's not any gold, you've got all the keywords that are going to be relevant to your book that you can plug in. Now, Publisher Rocket does cost money, costs about $97, and uh, I'm going to put a link in the show notes for you if you would like to purchase it. Now just be aware this link is an affiliate link, so when you purchase, if you want to purchase Publisher Rocket through this link, I get a little bit of money because I've told you to go there. I'm just putting that out there, you know, in advance, um, so so you know. Um, now, I use Publisher Rocket, and I love it, and I'm not just saying that because uh, I get a little bit of money if, um, if you purchase it. I have used it for a couple of years before I, you know, started, um, signed up at, to be an affiliate. Um, I love it. It's really, really useful for keyword research and also for keywords for AMS ads, which I, I think is where a lot of its value lies. Now, you do not need Publisher Rocket to be a successful author at all, absolutely whatsoever. Uh, and if you don't have $97 to spare, then, you know, don't don't buy it but if you want to dig into this kind of stuff it's a really awesome tool to use um, and I, I definitely recommend it so yes publisher rocket brilliant and then the final thing I want to say is just remember that your keywords and your categories have got to be relevant otherwise you're going to shoot yourself in the foot because Amazon is going to learn that your book is a different type of book to what it actually is and it's going to show it to people who aren't interested in it and they're not going to buy it and Amazon's going to go oh well that means your this book isn't very good and it won't show it to anyone so don't do that you are using your keywords and your categories to teach Amazon what kind of book you've written so it'll recommend it to people who read similar books that is your job so do it the final question I wanted to answer today is from Suki and her question comes in two parts um, so she says indie authors have to wear so many hats what things should a new indie author concentrate on, put their energy into, when they're starting out and building their name? Should it be their website, should it be newsletters, social media, marketing, etc.? What should they be focusing on? And then the second half of your question says, how do you balance the creative and the business side of things when making decisions about what to write and when to write them? So, I'm going to answer this question in two parts. The first of all, if you're a new author... I would always opt to choose one thing at a time and do a little bit of learning about it. So when you're writing, you are focusing on the writing craft aspect, so learning about the craft of writing. And if you're also if you're also writing because you want to have a career as a writer, then learning about writing to market while you're writing is great as well. When you're editing your book, focus on learning about editing. When you're preparing your book for a book launch, if you're self-publishing, or you know, when you're preparing to query people, um, query agents and editors if you want to traditionally publish, then learning about packaging, about covers and blurbs and titles, you know, that's when you're learning about that. Um, and when you're uploading, it's time to do a bit of research on that, which is like about categories and keywords and all that kind of jazz. 
So you don't have to become an expert on these things. You know, you can muddle your way through not knowing essentially anything. I mean, that's probably how most of us have started. But trying to one, learn one new thing at a time that you didn't know before is always going to help you grow you know, as an author over time. So marketing is the bit where authors usually find it so, so, so overwhelming. And I definitely recommend adopting this one thing at a time kind of mentality about marketing. Now, when you begin as an author, when you're, when you're a new author, the piece of marketing that I would consider thinking about when you begin with is to start a newsletter, just so that people who are reading your books, you can capture their details and then talk to them about future books in the future. Many authors are highly, highly successful with no social media, with no online promotions, with no heavy advertising. Um, but newsletters are probably the most valuable thing um, that you can do. So if you're going to do one thing to start with, I would start with learning about newsletters. You can add other things later, add them one at a time, based on what's going to be the closest thing to growing your audience. So, And that's going to differ depending on genre. So for some genres, a lot of the readers are all over Facebook. So focusing on you know, being active in Facebook groups in your genre is a really great idea. But for other genres, there ain't no Facebook groups. Those readers are not on Facebook. So that is a pointless exercise. So it's about figuring out what will be the closest things to getting you to grow that audience. So I'd love to talk about how this one thing at a time kind of mentality, how I apply that in my own life. So when I made the How to Rock Self Publishing course, which I did earlier this year, I had to learn a whole bunch of new skills. And one of those skills was that I had to learn how to make videos. So not just how to talk in them and how to appear in them, but how to actually take it from like a raw video file to like actually getting it onto the computer so you guys can look at it. And I I knew nothing about video, absolutely nothing, and I still know very little. So what I did was I said to myself, well, I'm going to have to do these videos, so I'm going to learn one new trick at a time. And so the first videos that I uploaded, they were literally me learning how to upload a video. So there is no editing in them whatsoever. All the ums and ahs and all the stupid pauses and even me like leaning in to the camera and you get my forehead and my nose in while I'm trying to turn the thing on and off, that's all in there. And I uploaded those. And then, you know, after I did that a couple of times and I knew what I was doing, then I learned how to, how to cut um, the different scenes so that I could cut out the little ums and ahs and, and little things. So I learned how to do that. And then after that, I learned how to put on um, like a music track um, in the beginning. And then I learned how to how to put a little a screen on with, with a title on it. So I learned how to wipe from one scene to another. And, you know, so now I know all the, a few of these things. And now I can make a relatively somewhat medium kind of professional looking video. Um, Whereas before, I could not. <laughs> and so that's all it takes. Is that sometimes you just have to say, well, look, I'm just, you know, the first few things are going to be crap, but that's okay because I'm learning. Now, the second part of this question was about how to balance the creative and the business side of things um, when making decisions about what to write next. So I just want to talk about the process that I go through, and it's something that I'm doing at the moment because I'm currently figuring out what um, what books I'm going to be writing in 2021. I'm going to be talking about that in an upcoming episode. So first of all, 
I have to be excited about the idea. So this is kind of the creative side coming out. I have to be absolutely itching to write this idea. And that is my rule. And the reason for that is that I might be living with this series for months, if not years, especially if it does well. I'm going to have to be living with these characters and living in this world for a long time. So I'd better be excited about it, because at some point, if you're not excited about it, then the readers are going to feel it, or you are going to reach a wall and you're not going to do any more. And you don't want to reach that wall if your series is going really, really well, and you're suddenly like, no, I can't write it anymore, I want to do something else. So that's why when I make decisions about what I'm going to be writing, I the first thing I go to is what am I excited about. And the second thing is that... Um, what one thing I said I will do is that I will sit down and I will write the book blurb for the, for the first book in this this series that I'm excited about, and I think about can I make this this hook this idea sound exciting, and it's okay if this book blurb isn't like perfect you know and if I change it later, but what I'm trying to do is is test the idea with um, what I'm actually going to be using to market it to readers, so I tend to show the book blurb to um, I've got about three or four author friends that I really trust, so I show it to them and we talk about, um, you know, is this gonna, is this a good idea? Is it not a good idea? Um, one thing I've done in the last book I released is I actually tested the blurbs um, with a Facebook ad, so chucked up the blurb with a with a picture and pointed people to a landing page where they could go and sign up to my newsletter if they wanted information when the book's coming out. And this is not about getting conversions; it's just about seeing compared to my other books, um, ads with their with their blurbs. How is this ad with this book blurb doing? You know. If the conversion rate is real, uh, sorry, if the the click rate is really low, then it sort of says, well, readers aren't as interested in this book as they are in my other books. So that's something you can do. Another thing you can do is perhaps post the, the blurb of the book in the Facebook group and sort of gauge the interest of how excited people are. But I find that less useful than actually testing it um, through an ad. So third of all, Every week or every month, I am looking at the charts and at the data on Amazon. I'm always clicking on people's books when they post them, and especially books that sound like something I would love to read or that I wish I'd written. And I watch how are they performing. I'm also looking at how previous projects of mine have done and how the advertising is going on them. And I'm using all that data that's swimming around in my head um, to kind of inform decisions, especially if I'm choosing between, you know, two or three different projects. And I'm thinking, well, you know, the market's really into this book, at the, this type of book at the moment. So if I've got three ideas and I'm equally excited about all of them, then one, the one that fits into that market at the moment, that's probably what I'm, I'm going to focus on. And then fourth of all is that I weigh the, the book's ideas and the concepts against my brand and against my, my sort of my plan for the future. So how does this book and how does this series push me in the direction that I'm trying to go? So I did this a lot to do a lot of thinking and soul searching when I got the idea for my book My Stolen Life because I am a paranormal romance author and this book was a contemporary romance. And what I came what it came down to was that yes the book is contemporary, um so yes it doesn't have the paranormal elements that um uh, that make up a key part of my brand, but the book is so kind of strange and 
dark and, and a little bit creepy and a little bit gothy and a little bit interesting um that it it fit with my brand even though it, it didn't if that makes any sense so that's the final part of the puzzle is that I need to weigh the book against my brand and against the direction that I'm going in because every book has an opportunity cost. So every book you write is a book that you're not writing at the same time. So I want every book that I write to build on my brand and build me in the direction that I want to go. So as I said, right now I'm currently choosing between a few different projects for 2021. I'm going to be talking about this in great detail in one of my next uh, two podcasts. So we've, I've got a podcast coming up which is all about advertising strategies, which you guys are not going to want to miss. And then I'm going to be talking about planning for 2021. That's all from me for this week. Um, I just want to remind you guys, if you haven't already, to pop on over to the website and get in on the free, completely free, how to plot your book in 10 days course. I am getting so much positive feedback about this email course, which is just 10 days of awesome content all about plotting, all about creating memorable characters, um, all about building scenes and building tension in your books. People are just loving it and I think you'll find it really really useful and it's a really good kind of build up um, to get you excited about the really cool thing that I'm launching at the end of this month that you are not going to want to miss. So go and head on over to the Rage Against the Manuscript webpage, get in on the how to plot your book in 10 days course and I will see you on the flip side. Happy writing everyone, cheers! <laughs>